The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 204 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own, not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any clear security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past in the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode 203, Cybercrime and our new remote workforce. Good friend of ours for the show, Mr. Robert Villanueva, the executive VP of Q6, joined George last week to break down the current trends in cybercrime. They were able to unpack the reasons for an increase in cybercrime over the last few years and how the COVID pandemic has influenced cybercrime trends and what Robert and his team are seeing on the underground forums and the deep dark web. Mr. Villanueva talked about how Eurasian malware development has affected cybercrime, if account takeovers are still prevalent, and how serious threat actors are still recruiting money mules to launder illicit funds. They also covered ransomware cryptocurrencies and the best way for all of you to avoid being a victim of cybercrime. All this and much, much more in episode 203 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, I'm super excited about my guest tonight. We got co-CEO and deputy board chair of K2 Integrity, Jeremy Kroll, on the show. It's always great to have someone I can chat with about converged security, so I'm look, looking forward to bringing him on. Jeremy Kroll is co-CEO and deputy board chair of K2 Integrity. With more than two decades of investigative and leadership experience, Jeremy has led K2 Integrity through its growth into an internationally recognized firm with six offices around the United States and Europe since co-founding the firm in 2009 with Jules Kroll. Jeremy helps executives and business owners to further their business objectives and serves as a trusted advisor and complex problem solver to business owners, boards of directors, C-suite executives, investment and asset managers, and high-profile and high-net-worth individuals. He advises clients on risk management as they pursue strategic investments, including cross-border acquisitions and multinational investments. He helps them to navigate the changing physical and cybersecurity landscape in a way that embraces technological change while minimizing strategic risk. It's my pleasure to introduce co-CEO and deputy chairman of the board of K2 Integrity, Jeremy Kroll. Jeremy, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Thank you, Andy. Happy New Year. Healthy New Year to you and yours. Thank God 2021 is over and uh, 2022 has begun. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show tonight. You know, that it's fun because uh, it's been such a long time, so we had a chance to really catch up and you guys have been doing some great stuff over at K2 and, you know, I really just love following, you know, what you've been doing and trying to do for the industry. So I really appreciate you taking the time. So, you know, give me a little insight, man. What, what, what got you going to get K2 going and, and what are you doing? We, uh, uh, Jules and I, Jules is uh, my partner, co-founder and, and father. Um, coming out of the financial crisis uh, at the end of our non-competes in uh, 2009 in the fall, uh, we started two businesses, one K2 Integrity, the other Kroll Bond Rating Agency. Uh, both companies were effectively answers to the financial crisis, the dislocation that occurred, all of the underpinning problems uh, from ethics, compliance, information, risk. And, um, you know, at the end of the end of the financial crisis, we had launched two businesses. We've um, created well over... 1,500 jobs. Uh, we've created almost uh, a billion and a half in enterprise value. So those are some stats for my fellow entrepreneurs and investors. Um, what I'm most proud of in, in terms of what, why do we start K2? Why do we start the bond rating agency is, is we always look for public sector uh, experts, people who have been working on policy issues, big, big problems. And we provide a private sector solution. So K2 is really that platform when we think about, you know, all of the kind of risk factors that, that individuals and companies, even, even uh, government clients are facing these days. So it's been 10 years plus now that, that we've uh, been in the game 
And I'm really, really psyched about where we're headed. Our team is, is leading edge. Um, but look, the last couple of years during the pandemic have been a challenge for all of us. And it's time to reboot, reimagine, re-energize. And um, that's why I'm so psyched to talk to you today. Yeah, I love it, man. I, I kind of feel like, you know, you sit between like, you know, D.C., New York, Singapore, London, right? Like there's this very interesting place where you can get that think tank kind of feel coming out of D.C., you know, ish, looking mm-hmm. at the geopolitical environment and landscapes globally and like that kind of conversation. And then you're right, right back into Manhattan and having that, you know, how does it impact business and commerce globally, right? And I, I love that intersection. And I think you guys sit right at the heart of that. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive into that, man. Like, so how, how has the pandemic impacted how businesses are looking at, you know, where they're going to go over the next couple of years? Well, technology transformation for pre-existing, um, companies is, is probably the biggest challenge, um, and, and, and certainly opportunity. Secondly, um, really introspectively looking at your core business, uh, and, examining what's going to be relevant and what's not. And then that leads you to not just the technology investment decisions, but, but, the, but really most importantly, the people decisions and then the kind of capital that companies and organizations have to put against it. So I think the challenges for leaders today um, are around culture, um, complacency, and you know, the inherent challenges of from onboarding to career advancement of their people. Um, everybody's gotten into certain habits at this point. And how do you, in, in terms of um, growth, how do you grow while people are still uh, comfortable working from home, working remotely, or actually are in this hybrid environment? So, um, you know, I, I think that, that these kinds of cultural challenges create opportunities. So, one of the key themes for us is reskilling, upskilling uh, our own people, and our clients are demanding it. Andy, um, one one interesting quick anecdote is um, you mentioned DC. We have a, a leading anti-financial crime training unit, um, and we have trained some of the world's largest financial institutions, central banks, um, around sanctions risk, money laundering risk. That was an in-class, in-person offering pre-pandemic. And in fact, late January, our team was going to be going to Wuhan, China uh, to train a client. And we, we received a call saying, you know what, um, you know, it was January of 2020. Uh, why don't you guys just stay put for a while? We're, we're going to have you come a little bit later, um, you know, dot, dot, dot. We haven't been back there since. So we really have had to migrate uh, from the physical classroom to the digital classroom in, in terms of training our clients, whether they're in the Gulf or in Asia uh, or here in the States. So, you know, it's, it's education and upskilling uh, people because there are a lot of jobs and a lot of positions that have become less or completely irrelevant. Uh, we hear a lot of, of that in the, uh, in the blue collar um, realm manufacturing but I think the you know, increasing concern that we have is, is in, the, um, in the white collar world and the, the kinds of populations that are being left behind really, really quickly. So that's where we're making significant investments. And, and I think that you're seeing that, um, you know, again, in, in, in pre-existing companies. The startup world is just on fire and there's so many cool innovations going on across all industries, but particularly um, our industry, Andy. Yeah, it's it's funny. People ask all the time, like, how do I get into cyber? And they think that they have to have this on keyboard technical background. And I'm always like, man, this, this is like a trillion dollar industry, right? That we're, we're headed towards. And there's something for everybody. I don't care if you're in finance, program management, executive leadership, if you're a techie, techie like there's something for everybody. Like look at cyber as an industry, you know, and not just, uh, you know, the kind of the hoodies and the keyboards that we're so used to putting the, <laughs> the thinking around, right? Um, Speaking of which, you're wearing a cool hoodie. I have, to, I, I, I have to rock it every now and then, man. That's the beauty of the pandemic, right? I, I, you know, I don't have to throw the suit and tie on anymore and get all buttoned <laughs> up when I don't want to. So it's been nice that, you know, the hardest part is making sure that I don't go too far, right? I, 
I got to make sure I still look presentable. You know, I, I got I, like, I have a, like I have a family, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for shaving today too. I, I, I appreciate it. I love it. So, look, man, I, I love this idea, you know, you know, co-CEO, like two in a box, you know, kind of to help drive and change things for the company. I'd, I'd love to get your take on the strategic thinking around as a leader, you know, making that corporate decision for yourself. And what does that help? How does that help you scale and tackle, um, you know, what your clients are, are asking you to tackle these days? This was um, the biggest decision I have made uh, in certainly in the last um, two years. Uh, it was a decision that it was was an easy one in that uh, I f- I'm very self-aware of what my uh, weaknesses are, what I need to develop and work on. And then I, whatever strengths I do have, uh, I think that for them to be more amplified, I, I needed help. I am blessed with an incredible team. We have a little over uh, 300 employees, team members around the world. As you mentioned, we're in DC, New York, uh, we're in London, and then we have branches uh, in Europe, the States, and and, uh, now in the Gulf. Um, When you work in 100 different countries in a given year, you need a, a, a really talented workforce that is capable of deploying quickly, um, is capable of making pivots uh, in, in, as I mentioned, our training, our training business. Um, the people have been under a lot of, a lot of pressure and stress. And um, I think we've been a very resilient group. Um, but I think, uh, Andy, my, my decision was really easy because the person I selected um, and, and he selected me is, is Andrew Rabinowitz. Uh, he's been a friend and really in the philanthropic work that his family, my family do. Um, he's also been a client for nearly 10 years. So I've seen him in the trenches as, as his service provider. Um, I've seen how he solves problems. I see how he deals with, with challenges. And I see how he's helped drive growth in his prior firm, which, by the way, is in the investment management world, um, you know, as a credit and uh, distressed investing fund that's done extremely well. Uh, I I thought diversity of background was really important. Uh, Diversity of thinking, uh, diversity in in terms of industry, because um, we can't be complacent. We have to innovate. We have to be able to change as a firm. And um, to your point that you mentioned earlier, uh, the cyber space is like a gigantic tent now. And we got to welcome everybody in. Yeah. Uh, it has it's become a, a very, very exciting and, and, and fascinating, intellectually fascinating industry. It happens to now be lucrative, but uh, someone like Andrew could bring his CPA, his JD, the hats he's worn as CFO, COO, president, uh, running the business side of a $24 billion fund. He could look at us and say, there's a great platform here, really talented team. I'm re imagining my own career. Uh, he just turned 50, uh, St. Patty's Day last year. I, uh, yeah, last year I turned 50 three weeks later. So we were both at this juncture in our careers. And my last, I guess, sort of um, data point is, uh, did you play sports growing up? You must have. I did. Yeah. I played baseball and basketball, which, you know, it isn't, okay. it isn't good when you're, you know, not six feet tall when you play either sport really, but, you know, I gave it my best. Well, as a, as a soccer player, um, I had more assists than I had goals. And perhaps that was you in basketball. So I'm, I, I really, uh, I don't need to score every time and I don't need the, uh, the spotlight. Um, and, I, and I thought that Andrew could help us, help me grow, reimagine, reboot, re-energize. Um, our, our ambitions are to grow significantly and, and, and be a public company over the next three, four years. So that, that was the decision personally I made. Um, I did ask my team uh, to, to accept this decision, uh, to trust me and trust that Andrew was going to be a great leader, a great partner, a great servant of the organization, um, and kind of in the spirit of core values, which is where everything begins and ends for us, is he and I have the same core values. And so for, for me to be able to do this, 
um, and, and get my, my partner's blessing, um, both my partner at work, meaning Jules, and my partner at home, meaning my wife, Nicole, it all had to work. And so, uh, you know, since September 20th of 2021, we're, we're off and running and very excited about uh, what's to come this year with Andrew. I love it. I have so much I want to dive into, man, but we had to take a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with co-CEO and deputy chairman of the board of K2 Integrity, Jeremy Kroll. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-CEO and deputy chairman of the board of K2 Integrity, Jeremy Kroll. Well, Jeremy, I really appreciate you framing out, you know, the decision to make, you know, be, you know, the co-CEO two-in-a-box model. Like, I, I really think that's just that's such a mature executive decision. Uh, I really applaud it because I, I, like, I spent a lot of time over the pandemic really becoming more self-aware myself, and it's unlocked a whole bunch for me personally. So, like, the fact that you're, you know, I, I just love hearing those types of stories um, and seeing how others do. It's really inspirational. So, I appreciate you sharing, sharing that, you know. But, but as a CEO, you're also talking to other CEOs. Right. And, you know, especially in your, your capacity as a service provider, you know, of risk management services. Right. So, you know, what are the things that they're coming to you with now, um, you know, that they're really honed in on in 2022? Supply chain um, risk as number one. Um, and there's the internal supply chain and the external internal, meaning, you know, your, your employees, 
uh, or critical, critical vendors that are sitting inside your organization. The external being, you know, all of the um, third and, and fourth parties you deal with. So that, that's really number one. Um, the insider threat, uh, and, and I would categorize that in two, two buckets. There's the witting and the unwitting. Uh, in the witting, it's, it's, it's really dealing with um, ethics and conduct. And that has to do with everything from, you know, garden variety, uh, IP theft, uh, some sort of form of financial fraud. Um, and, and frankly, uh, the, the unwitting might be um, everything from click the wrong link, open the wrong attachment, and off they go to you say the wrong thing in the workplace. And it could be, uh, or in the social sphere uh, online, and it could be extremely detrimental. Um, again, many, many, many a time it's unwitting um, and, and it's not malicious, but it creates a tremendous amount of stress. Um, and, I, and I think, Andy, you know, your, your expertise and your audience, the community you've built of practitioners, some of whom are born digital, uh, many of whom have transformed and evolved over time from sort of analog to digital, in, in the risk arena, um, cyber risk is, is just so incredibly pressing to, to CEOs um, because many of them are actually dealing with account takeovers, uh, privacy theft for themselves or their E or C-suite or even family members. So it's, it, it's so top of mind and, and it's so paralyzing to them when they think about how am I gonna do this for hundreds if not thousands of my colleagues and protecting the, you know, the essentially the virtual four walls of the organization. So those are the, those are a few that just jumped to mind. Yeah. It, you know, I, I love it because I feel like a lot of, you know, like having been a CISO and, and kind of sitting in these cyber executive roles, you know, I find the trans translation between, I like to call it the data center to the boardroom, right? How do I translate what's happening on the ground with the teams, you know, and make cybersecurity, you know, the ROI, the value, like how do we measure risk? How do we manage risk? And so when I think about, you know, CEOs and boards, you know, in my view, and I'd love to get your take here is they speak in one language, which is financial, right? You're running a business. How, what's, what is it that the investments I'm making in cybersecurity to reduce risk impact the overall, you know, uh, ROI or bottom line of the company? You know, how does that threat impact my bottom line and what's the financial impact of these things that are around me that I really don't understand as an executive, maybe in another sector. Um, so um, how do we help translate, you know, cyber risk to executives so that they can understand this? And it's not just, they're not just dealing with, man, I need to know more about this, the cybersecurity space because of the threats that we, we're facing at home. I, we must, I know we're facing them um, when I talk to my CISO, but use it to educate and, and, and speak in a language that enables the CEO and the board to make business related decisions around cyber risk. Like, I feel like that's still something that as a, as a industry we're, we're, we're tackling, like what's your perspective on just that translation to help inform executives to make business decisions? Um, it's, it's a phenomenal uh, challenge. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you've reflected on this from your role in, in the U.S. government um, or roles in the U.S. government where uh, you, were, you were in the life and death business. Um, you weren't in the, you know, I guess that's the profit and loss, uh, you know. Yeah, it's very binary. <laughs> it's binary, you know, dead, alive, like you choose. It's you know, somewhere in between uh, is, is, is not acceptable um, and, and certainly death is, is the least acceptable option. So, um, you know, you're, you're in the, also in the business of um, when you go from the public to the private sector, um, this is where we've seen some of the biggest challenges for, for our colleagues over the many decades now that we've been working with people, be it in the, in the States or, or Europe, Latin America, Asia. Um, the expertise, the pointing tip of the spear, people who are crime fighters, who are security professionals, who are defense members of the defense community, I mean, they're seeing the, the, the earliest shoots, meaning the earliest sort of growth of the next threat. 
And, and it's an incredible pool of expertise to tap into. Um, they're not in the, in the sort of habit of explaining um, other than when you get senior enough, you got to fight for budget, but explaining why we need to invest in you know, UAV technology, why we need to invest in um, the kind of mesh networking, uh, why we need to invest in, in, in new um, virtual uh, currency analysis. Because again, it's, it's nation state, you know, and it's national economic security. And that's why when you asked that question earlier about Washington, it's such a great melding for our DC and New York teams, for example, where you have policy and strategy and, and a sort of pointy tip of the spear work out of DC, coupled with the commercial rigor, and the investment mindset, uh, typically coin operated mentality uh, as a New Yorker myself. So we, we need to keep that balance. You know, getting to the, getting to the, the heart of your question is, um, if you have an incident, then you know you have a problem. And so putting incident response resources against it, it's like when you go to the doctor or when you go to the dentist, when you've identified that you have a, you know, a, a pain in your mouth or a pain somewhere in your body or you know, you've got a health issue. And so I think making the argument these days in terms of how do you quantify risk, you have to take your own organization's incident costs. You have to constantly engage with the insurance community. I think I encourage people to get much more involved in the insure tech community because that's where there's a lot more innovation around uh, measuring and managing and quantifying risk from a cyber perspective. And you've got to sort of understand what the traditional insurance sector is doing and then the new, the, the new entrance. Um, and, you know, being able to uh, allocate a percentage of your IT spend dedicated to security is, is becoming more of an outdated mode, I think, of quantifying how much should I spend on, on cyber. So it's, it's really about saying from the, the beginnings of planning a new product or service, you build budget into that for security and privacy, um, not just because regulators are telling you to do that, um, but from the beginning instances is when you can ensure the best possible security rigor and, and culture of security. You know, I'll, I'll mention ESG later, but if you really want to hit your board over the head or, or you know, the CEO over the head, if they're a public or private company or they're in the investment world, just look at ESG, look at what the regulatory communities and, and increasingly going to be the enforcement communities are going to go after. And you point to the, the pieces that deal with cyber and privacy. Yeah. And you say, well, there's that. Like, do you want us to be designing our security posture against regulatory compliance? Because do we want to be the poster child when, you know, the regulators come knocking? That might be the ultimate, like, if I can't get through to you, what are we going to do about this when the SEC comes knocking? Right. Yeah. And the guidance around out of like the NACD and, and, and obviously the, the SEC, right, is, which is foundational for what the NACD is doing, is really around how do you have, how do you understand and measure cyber exposure, right? So I, I think it's, it's great. You know, I'd love to get your take on you know, you sit in a really cool place between being a cybersecurity executive service provider and an investor. And, you know, I feel like in the investment side of things, folks are still looking, investors are still looking for companies to build as cheap as possible. Um, you know, and that doesn't always mean build securely. <laughs> so, you know, like, are, it, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on the decisions around when, when investors are looking at, you know, products where the security piece fits into that decision, because I feel like the, they, they don't always want to pony up early into that mm -hmm. investment to get security. They'll, they'll bolt it on later when it's an issue, but thinking about it with security by design right out of the gate and giving the, um, the, uh, a new entrepreneur or the entrepreneur, the, the funds to build securely um, right out of the gate doesn't seem to be the model. Like I'd love to get your take since you're, you're in that, you know, day to day. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the least heralded but most exciting areas um, when it comes to investment is is around uh, training, testing, 
uh, and, and certification. Uh, one of the ways to quantify risk in, in one's own organization uh, is to create really engaging training programs, uh, simulate attacks, and understand just how prepared your people are uh, to be, frankly, victimized by the, you know, it's like KTEL presents. You remember KTEL, like the top hits of the, of the week or the month or the, the year? I mean, spear phishing is top of the KTEL charts, billboard charts. I mean, yep. it is just so, so darn effective. So measuring how your people can upskill and reskill measuring how your, your key uh, vendors and service providers um, can do that because, you know, traditionally training is a tick the box, you know, education, tick the box type of exercise. And you just sort of roll your eyes, like for the next, the next, uh, you know, thing from HR is coming. Um, so making it interesting, making it cool. And, and I think actually your show and your team could do a great job of developing much better a training education offerings uh, for essentially empowering people to become chief security or chief risk or chief information security officers and feel like I've been deputized. You know, I know it's just a job, but I really want to protect this company because there are, there are many families that rely on this company to provide for. And if we get taken down, that's real life impact. So that's, again, I keep coming back to education and training um, and subtly for the E-suite and C-suite, you know, getting into the boardroom, which you have a ton of experience and talking to people, you know, yes, they want to see the numbers, but they also know that their personal reputations are at stake. They know that the stock price and market value is at stake. Uh, so they're going to they're gonna have to listen. They're going to have to do something. And let's make sure that people in that boardroom or in that C-suite actually have the kind of technology background risk background, you know, bring some diverse skill sets to the table. That's really important too, Andy, just in, in terms of the management team. Um, so as, as investors look for, uh, look for more increased diversity, look for training and education. Um, I can go on and on about, you know, the importance of machine learning and, 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 and artificial intelligence applications um, that I think will help reduce the cost of building better security and analytics into new products and services. I think that's really, really a, a, new, a new area that's evolving quickly and, and it really deserves a lot of investment. I love it. We'll have to come up with something to give you a call. So the, uh, look, man, I'd love to get your take, you know, kind of dive more into like, you know, the heart of the business a little bit, you know, cause I think the work that you all do and, you know, I know you've had a name switch in the company over time, right? K2 Intelligence, the K2 Integrity. I love the integrity thing. I think it speaks volumes about what you are doing as a company and the way you're you. thinking about the future. Um, you know, but the intelligence stuff is like, you know, a really big part of, you know, what you do and a really big part of just on being as close to the adversary as possible. And right now, the ransomware threat through phishing is just, you know, boomed, um, of course, Um What's your take on, you know, kind of where that's going and, and how are your, your clients dealing with that right now? I mean, yesterday we were helping um, a client whose business is solely run um, on, on a digital platform and they're incredibly reliant on TikTok uh, and Instagram to not only promote what they do, but to engage with their, their community and their, and their customers. And account takeover is the most paralyzing, scary thing uh, for someone like that. And um, so I would, I would tell you that, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, in our original family business, we were in the, we the K&R space, kidnap and ransom. And that's when we um, were engaged by the insurance companies that would underwrite the kidnap and ransom policies, prepare the executive for living abroad uh, and their family, train them, get them hopefully uh, in the preventative mindset to avoid being kidnapped. Uh, we did 188 successful hostage negotiations. And the, um, the kidnappers knew that if they could pinch Mrs. or Mr. X, they were going to get paid the ransom because that's the job of the insurance companies, just pay the ransom and get the people back safely. 
Uh, flash forward, um, you know, it's, it's kidnap and ransom of data and systems. And so the ransomware, um, you know, business is booming. Um, the opportunity to do it on, at scale is, is it's, if I could, I hate to say it, it sounds perverse, but if, if I was looking at investment opportunities, look, you can make so much more as a bad actor, you know, in that space. Plus, you can avoid your legal jurisdiction. You can avoid uh, a shootout, you know, and the physical risks. Yeah. And, you know, there's just, there's just hundreds of millions of people that click the wrong links, open the wrong attachments, you know, are vulnerable even more than ever in the pandemic to, um, you know, to phishing attacks. So, you know, being able to help people with this issue, um, with the challenges, look, of the U.S. government saying, you pay a ransom, that's not right because the ransom payment is usually going to an actor that is somehow in a either sanctioned country or sanctioned business. And it's a really tough place for you, know, you as a company or you as an individual to say, how, how do I get my data back? How do I get my business back? And we're getting mixed messages. It's, it's, a, it's a really tricky area. Um, but but it's, it's absolutely not a pandemic. It's, it's an endemic. That's the phase that we're in when it comes to the ransomware uh, threat. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing, right? Because you have that borderless cross cross border cross sector th- risk that you can't exactly. have your bet on, right? It's just there, and it's for everybody, and everyone's dealing with it, you know, constantly. So, you know, because you, your your company has such a physical component, like I, I love Converge Security, right? Physical cyber working together. So, I love that you we can talk Converge really a bit with you because you've got both sides of the risk management coin there. Um, I'd like to just kind of get out of cyber for one second and like, you know, you, you and your team focus a lot on following bad actors online. Like, and I'm a big believer of like, you know, be as close to the adversary as possible. <laughs> you know, like you want to know, you want to be like right there with them, right? That's why undercover operations were always so successful or intelligence operations successful because you got to get right in there and you got to be in the mix um, to be able to handle, you know, to be able to have that ground truth of what's going on. So when you're advising, you know, folks or you're going after dismantling these groups, you know what they're up to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are, what are some of the more like non-digital trends that you're, you're following right now as it relates to, you know, bad guys online? Um, fraud. And, you know, one example is that, that it's just, it's increasing exponentially is in the health care space, specifically um, life sciences, pharmaceuticals, and medical devices. So Andy, that's, that's where we've worked with some of the largest manufacturers um, in, in, in the U.S. who are seeing their products counterfeited uh, or falling off the back of the truck and, and gray marketed. And I mean, you can imagine if you are um, dealing with a medical test kit at home, that's supposed to tell you whether or not you, you're, I don't want to be too specific, but you know, a diagnostic, we're dealing with counterfeit diagnostic testing kits. We're dealing with counterfeit um, therapies for um, life and death illnesses. And um, our, our job may actually start in a digital realm to track um, supply and distribution of counterfeit medical devices or pharmaceuticals. Um, but our, our multidiscipline team, we have this really cool um, health tech um, and, and IP protection team that is, is very diverse, gender-wise, ethnicity-wise, background-wise, technical, non-technical, ex-law enforcement, you know, grew up in the industry. Why? Because there is so much money to be made by the bad actors if they can compromise, you know, the pharmaceuticals or the medical devices and, um, and then, you know, distributing them. There's a ton of, you know, intelligence we're gathering online, but then we have to hit the pavement find sources, find people who will flip, find former employees, find um, people that will cooperate with us, develop enough evidence with our client and some really good legal counsel, outside counsel, and then go to Customs and Border Patrol so that we can have a coordinated operation to seize the product. Why? 
because it's life and death. And it certainly is reputation risk for, for the manufacturers and you know, for our clients. But this is where this sort of convergence is taking place and being able to get bad or, or dangerous product off the streets. Man, I, that's such a great mission, especially right now, right? People, people just are not handling, you know, some of the stresses of COVID and having been going through this now for two years, you know, to think that like, they're not gonna be able to go back to work, you know, because maybe they're one of the diagnostic tests, you know, is, is inaccurate. Right. And, and can't be absolutely accurate, right. It's just amazing. So wait, Hey man, I got so much, I got so much more I want to hit with you, but we got to take another break. Um, don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from co-CEO and deputy chairman of the board of K2 Integrity, Jeremy Kroll. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with co-CEO and deputy chairman of the board of K2 Integrity, Jeremy Kroll. Well, brother, we talked about ransomware and the threat and the risk associated, but let's be honest, none of it, none of it matters if they can't get paid, right? They're in, they're in the business of making money, uh, not just committing crimes. And so, you know, and that's all happening digitally, right? I mean, Bitcoin, you know, crypto is, is the way, you know, what are you guys seeing in, in, in terms of uh, the risks associated with, or the, or the new technologies, right? It's a budding industry. Like I just love to get your perspective on where crypto is going and, and how it's impacting, you know, your businesses. We, um, and, and this is where I have to give credit, I won't name the person, but uh, often the best ideas, the most novel ideas um, come from the most junior folks in an organization. And I remember um, he was one of the first analysts that we had in our New York office when we launched K2. He came to me and um, one of my now uh, senior most colleagues um, who was just starting our financial crime business. So money laundering, uh, sanctions, fraud, that, that, that was an area that we thought, you know, roughly 10 years ago was going to be important for foreign financial institutions. Um, but this, this young 
uh, analyst came up and he handed us an article like people actually still read magazines back then. And he said, um, there's this thing called Bitcoin. Uh, it feels like it's important. Uh, there's a lot of questions as to uh, the, you know, the customers who use it because you can be anonymous and you can basically hide payments and flows of money. So it feels like this something we should focus on. And, you know, candidly, um, we, my colleague, uh, senior colleague and I kind of, we, we chuckled a little bit and patted him on the back and said, you know what, um, why don't you go and do some research uh, because we don't understand what you're talking about. And so flashing forward, that positioned us probably about six years ago. So it was probably two years in the making. We helped the Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss develop their first AML financial crime compliance program at what, what is now Gemini and uh, work with them and their legal counsel to the, go to the Department of Financial Services in New York and, and get the, the first trust license uh, for what is now one of the largest um, virtual currency exchanges in the world. So they were, uh, to your question earlier about you know, security by design, uh, they did economic security um, and obviously technical security by design from the outset because they understood counterparties need to get comfortable. This is a wild west type of space. And there are you know, certain regulators that wanted to be on the vanguard of, of creating new businesses and, and growth areas. So I've seen and we've seen many companies uh, fail at what these guys succeeded at, which is you know, investing in risk management upfront respecting your regulatory uh, regulators or potential regulators and looking at them as partners as opposed to adversaries. So, you know, definitely, Andy, the, the area is booming. Cash is still king. You're a bad guy or you're a bad gal and you, you want to get paid for, you know, the data or systems you've, you've gotten a hold of. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to ask, um, you're going to tell and the best way to get paid um, as anonymously as possible is using virtual currencies. Um, by the way, virtual currencies could be gift cards. They could be you know, other forms of payment, not just Ethereum or Bitcoin or Dogecoin. So you know, let's, let's balance this out a bit um, because I think the blockchain is going to allow brand new industries to emerge. It's going to disintermediate uh, fat, dumb, and happy, lazy, you know, industries and segments that are, that are sort of just basically running toll booths and are very inefficient. And so I think the applications of blockchain in, 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 in areas like the art market is we're watching that very closely um, because the art market is under AML regulatory uh, compliance. And you see these big prosecutions now of people uh, who have, collected antiquities and you know they're gonna they're now being held accountable because there's going to be more and more transparency in the art world for for physical uh collectibles let alone now the nft environment where you have the virtual versions of collectibles and so this is again new, new asset classes that are going to unlock value uh, for investors for creators um, it's so exciting uh but candidly, you know, there's there's always a level of concern uh, within governments over control of information, being able to attribute uh, who's behind something, uh, being able to follow the money because they're you know they don't want to lose tax revenues or they they want to protect their their security interests. But in, innovation is being led first by the bad guys, then industry, and then government eventually catches up. Um, it's just the most exciting area. So we're, we're offering some really tangible solutions for our clients where we are literally running their financial crime compliance systems, their processes. They're co-sourcing that with us because we have experience dealing with the regulatory communities around the world. And it is about communication. It is about developing more trust. And it is about you know, designing security up front so that people have a, a level of comfort that it's resilient, it's gonna be um, operating well, there will always be a level of fraud or a level of bad actors involved, but um, you know, the future is here 
And if you're, if you're just sort of shrugging it off, like we, my partner and I did a little bit, you know, eight years ago, you know, you, we're dinosaurs, we're dead, we're, we're done. Um, you have to be able to embrace this change, but then, you know, with the mindset, I guess, up front of investing in security, investing in risk management, investing in technology expertise, and, and making sure that your workforce is as young, as vibrant, as, as sort of challenged as possible up front. And, and um, you know, that, that's where I think the, the exciting spaces are for any industry, let alone, you know, the one you and I occupy and, and obviously your amazing audience. Nate, I, re- I really appreciate it. I know you got an event to go to, so I'm not, I'm not going to keep you here much longer. Um, but man, you know, investing in your people, staying close to the ground truth of what's going on in the underground, right? Really helps drive the future of where companies can go, right? You just never know where those great ideas are going to come from. And they could come from the bad guy or the girl, or they could come from you know, the, the person at the most junior levels in your organization. So I love that you keep your eyes open. You're always looking down the road of the future um, and you're constantly evolving and in, 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 in maturing and growing. So kudos to your success, brother. I really appreciate you taking the time with yeah. us. Um, glad to have you back whenever you want to come back on. So just let me know. We'll get you back on the show. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on, Jeremy. Thanks. Thank you for the invite, Andy. You know, you're, you're a great partner and thought leader and community builder. So it's, it's an honor to join you and um, look forward to seeing the new year, man. All right, buddy. Stay same, safe. Same to you, buddy. All right, folks, time for us to bounce up on out of here, but don't get, forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your favorite pair of TF7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 